morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Now, here's the deal. If you are on vacation, uh, you are normally with us in person on Sunday mornings, but you're out of town like I know a lot of our folks are. We want to say hello. We are glad you are here. Uh, we've got some folks in the church who are under the weather or have some health issues going on. They can't be here this Sunday. I want you to know that we're glad that you are here as well. Now, if you're just checking things out, and we know that you know, pretty much everybody who started coming to the church in the last couple of years has said that they were online with us before they were in person with us. So if you're just checking things out, we want to say hello. We are glad that you are here and welcome. Now, online, you can search Faith on Hill on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you can like and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. And that's where you'll get all of our online content from Sunday mornings through our podcast, Talk About Anything podcast, 20-minute Bible study, starting points. And then we meet in small groups throughout the week. And some of them have been on summer break, but they're going to be starting back up in the next couple weeks. And you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. So Sunday mornings, online and in person, throughout the week, small groups and the podcasts. So we are going to continue looking at the life of Elijah. We're going to be in the book of 1 Kings chapter 21. We're going to hear about a guy named Naboth who had a great vineyard in an unfortunate location. 1 Kings chapter 21 says that some time later, so there's been a bit of time since we were together last week, and Elijah the prophet, uh, he went and appointed Elisha to be his successor, as well as uh, other uh, men to be kings over Aram and Israel. And it's been some time. There's been a passage of time. We don't know how long. No more than six years, uh, but probably more like three or four. And sometimes later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Now, Samaria was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel, so he was king there. Uh, but he was also the king over the northern area of Israel, uh, which by the time that the uh, people of Israel returned to the land after the Babylonian captivity, that whole area started to be called Samaria, as it was in Jesus' day. And it says that, uh, Ahab had his palace right next to it. And then in verse 2, it says that Ahab says to Naboth, let me have your vineyard for a vegetable garden since it's so close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry, because Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors, and he lay on his bed sulking and refusing to eat. This sounds like some kids that I know. Maybe this sounds like a kid that I was at one point in my life. I'm not sure. Verse 5, his wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you sulking? Why don't you eat? And he answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up, eat, cheer up. I will get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. 
So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. She placed his seal on them and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters, she wrote this. Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he cursed both God and the king and then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters that she had written to them. And they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. The two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. And so they took him outside the city and they stoned him to death. And then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. And as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, hey, get up. Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, go down and meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it and say to him, this is what the Lord says, you, have you murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. And Ahab said to Elijah, So you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he says, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from, Abraham, from Ahab every last male in Israel slave or free, I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, or like that of Basha, son of Ajiah, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. <coughs> and also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says the dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and birds will feed on those who die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel his wife, and he behaved in the vilest manner, going after idols like the Amorites that the Lord had drove out of Israel. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, he put sackcloth on, and he fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. So he hears what God has told him, and he is grieving this judgment. We may hear this and say, oh, God just said that Ahab and his wife are going to die, and that dogs are going to eat their, their, their remains. That's bad. But this whole thing about having every male cut off from him in Israel is God saying, you will have no future. Your descendants will not survive. There will always be somebody from the house of David ruling on the throne in Israel, but it will not be from your line. Your children and your grandchildren will not survive to see another generation. So he, he's weeping, he's grieving, he's mourning. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, verse 28, 
have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster on in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Now, what that tells me is that a, a couple of things. First of all, is that it's a pretty decent guess that what Ahab is grieving and mourning and let's say repenting of is not the death of Nabob. It's, it's not the prophets he's had put to death. It's not the ways in which he has sold himself into idolatry and immorality and rebellion against God. What he is grieving is this prophecy that he will see the death of his line, his children, his grandchildren. There will be nobody left that is his offspring. No, none, nobody. And he's got to see it. He would see it happen. He's not grieving the murder of Naboth. He's not grieving the injustice that's going on. He's not grieving the idolatry. He's not grieving the murder. And we've talked about this in previous weeks, how because Ahab and his wife Jezebel had led the people into the worship of Baal and Asherah, that they essentially brought the people into a place of murder, of corruption, of violence, of immorality, human trafficking, child sacrifice. I'm not even joking about that. That, that there were children being murdered. There were women and, and men who were being trafficked as, as property for, for uh, sexual purposes. All of these things were happening. He's not mourning any of that. He's mourning that he's going to have see this tragedy befall his family. Now, God does recognize his repentance in this area. And so he says, all right, because you've... You've humbled yourself before me in this area. You won't see this happen. But your kids will. And you might say, well, that sounds unfair. What did the kids do? Well, if you read on ahead, you'll find out that the kids bring it on themselves. That what God was going to do earlier because of Ahab, God says, all right, I'll hold off. But your kids are going to bring this on themselves. It's also a warning Remember that God said, hey, I'm going to do this thing. And then Ahab repented, and God relented and said, okay, Ahab, I see what you're doing. And in my mercy, I'm going to hold back. I'm going to not cause this thing to happen. His kids could have repented. Ahab's kids weren't cursed or doomed. They could have said, you know what? Our dad did these things that were evil, and because of that, we have this, this curse put on us. But if we repent and we humble ourselves like our father did, Maybe God will be merciful and spare us. They could have done that, and they did not. Bear that in mind. Now, I want to talk today about the ways that we walk in. Do we walk in the ways of God, or do we walk in our own ways? Do we walk in the ways of this world, or do we walk in the ways of the kingdom of heaven? Ahab was just walking in his own ways. He looks out his window in his palace in Jezreel, and he sees this vineyard that Naboth has put a lot of effort into. And for generations, his family has been there. And it's fruitful and it's successful. And he says, hey, you know what? That's a great piece of property. And I don't just feed myself here, but, you know, my, my palace court, the servants, the officials, they all need food too. And I've got vineyards and fields over there, uh, but it takes a while to get things over here. Ahab's ancestral home was not in Samaria. It was down in Judah, near Bethlehem. That is where King David had his uh, fields and his vineyards. And that is where the king would have, except the northern kingdom split off. He didn't have any ancestral claims to any land 
in the northern part of Israel. So he had to buy stuff. So he goes over to Naboth and he says, hey, I want to buy your vineyard or I'll give you a better one, whichever one sounds better to you. And you might think, hey, that sounds pretty fair. There's nothing underhanded here. It seems like a pretty good deal. He just wants what he wants. And that's how a lot of people are. They just want what they want. They're not out to get anybody. He didn't wake up that day and said, oh, I'm that Naboth guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him. No, he just wanted to do a real estate transaction. And most people who live in our community, that live around us in our neighborhoods, in our, our, you know, the street down from us or the street over who are, who are next to us in the office or you know, we see as we punch in in the clock in the morning or we see every day at school or whatever, the people that we connect with, that we interact with, they're just trying to live their life. They're not out. They didn't, they didn't wake up and say, hey, I want to get that guy. I want to take her out. I want to abuse that person. I want to take from that person. They're just getting up and living their lives, and they don't even think about it. That's how Ahab is today. Ahab just wants this vineyard. He wants to do a real estate deal. He's being super fair about it when you think about it. His offer is more than generous. The issue doesn't come from him just wanting to make a real estate transaction. The issue starts before and after. Before is that the king of Israel should not be there. The king of Israel should not be living there where he would say, hey, I want that. He should be in Jerusalem. The kingdom should not have been divided. It was because of sin in previous generations that created a broken system. Now, I believe this firmly. That when we talk about how things should be, how people should live, we have to understand that we live in such a broken system, in a broken world, that we come with brokenness. We start from a broken place, just like Ahab was starting from a broken place. You know, yes, he was the worst king Israel ever had, but he didn't get dealt a good hand. He didn't get dealt a family that was faithful to God. He didn't get a, dealt a heritage of faith. Nobody since his great, 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 great grandfather, whoever many generations back, King David, had been faithful to God. Not one king of Israel, the northern kingdom, was a good king. All of them did what was wicked in the eyes of God. So he starts in this place of brokenness. And that's how most people are. That's how every, every person is born into a fallen world. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person starts out in kind of a broken place. And some of us come, start in places that are more broken than others. Some people start out a little less broken, whatever. But we all start out from a bad place. Then, the brokenness started before Ahab. But then it also comes after in how he responds. Naboth says, no, I, I don't want to sell the vineyard. So what does Ahab do? He goes to his room and he sulks. Why? Because he didn't get his way. Did Naboth do evil to him? No. He just said, I don't want to sell this vineyard right now. Did, did anyone trick him, betray him, abuse him, cheat him? No. It was just he didn't get his way. So he goes off and he sulks because he doesn't get his way. I think a lot of the strife the fighting, the arguments, is that people just want their way and they don't like it when they don't get their way. Why is it that somebody refuses to go to a family gathering because they don't want to hear somebody have a different opinion than them? And that's everybody, by the way. Every Thanksgiving, every Thanksgiving, 
OPB's, you know, social media is like how to deal with a conservative family member. And then I also see this the other way, people going, oh man, I, gotta go. I don't want to go deal with them, they're so liberal. And, and you get these people that don't want to talk to somebody because they have a different voting preference than they do. You know, I don't want to go deal with that person because of this and that, and I just want to get my own way. That's how people operate. Here's Ahab, he doesn't really care, he doesn't care about the things of God at all. He just wants to live in his own way, and he was born into a broken world, but then he himself, because of his own sinful heart, makes the world more broken. And that's how things are around us. Every person around us, born into a broken world, and then because of our own sin and rebellion, we make the world more broken. Then there's Naboth. I do not know if Naboth followed God or not. I don't know if Naboth was one of those faithful people that God was telling Elijah about the other week. I don't know. It's possible that Naboth is refusing to sell the property to the king because he knows the king is wicked. And he doesn't want to support that. It's possible that he refuses to sell the property to the king because in Israel, we don't have time to get into this, but if you went back and listened to old 20-minute Bible study podcast episodes uh, when we were going through Exodus, when the people of Israel were going into the land, everybody, everything was divided up and everybody got a share and it's supposed to stay in your family. God said, hey, this is where I'm putting you. This is where you're supposed to be. And the idea was you just stayed there. This is my family's home. This is what God has given us. So it could be that he's a faithful person. He believes in God. He hasn't bowed to the false gods and the idols. He hasn't given in to the evil of the world around him. And he says, I'm not going to support the king, nor am I going to abandon what God has given me. It could be that. It could also be that Naboth is not particularly religious or devout. He's, he, he'll go to the Asherah poles. Oh, everybody else is going. But he likes the old ways. He's kind of an old soul. And there's plenty of people like that throughout history. They're not particularly devoted to God. They don't have what we might call a saving faith, but they like church. They like liturgy or they like the, the, you know, the old songs. I've seen people who are very irreligious in their life, but if they had kind of a church background and they hear an old church song, they go, oh, that old thing. And then they start singing along because they secretly like it. That could be Naboth. It could be that it's not really about the king. He's like, Ahab, whatever, I don't care. It's that he just, he's been on the land, his family's been on the land, and he's, he's using a spiritual reason as a pretext for why he's just doing what he would have done anyway. That happens all the time, where people uh, aren't particularly Christian. They aren't particularly interested in submitting to God, but they like church as the framework. For their life. They like Christian faith as the framework for their spiritual world, even though they have no interest in actually submitting to God. I heard this last week about uh, an issue going on among Southern Baptist preachers in the South, where, where they're preaching the words of Jesus, and people are coming up and saying, that I don't like that. And, and, and they like church, they want to like praise God and live morally, but then when they hear Jesus' teaching, it, it challenges them too much, and, and they, they're, they're kind of like, all of a sudden, it's conversation going on among a certain group of churches that, hey, we're starting to get pushback by just quoting the words of Jesus. So, well, I don't know. 
Is Naboth a faithful person who says, I'm not going to support what the king's about? I'm not going to be like a jerk or anything, but I'm not going to support it. And this is the land God gave us. We're going to stay here. Or it could be that Naboth's just kind of a traditionalist. He doesn't care one way or the other. He's just using, you know, hey, this is the Lord's inheritance to us as sort of a spiritual reason that really he's just kind of a guy that just wants to stay where he's at. Whatever his reason, he's living in the old ways. You see, in Israel, land always went back to the family. You could sell your land, but within 50 years, it would come back to you. It was this uh, thing called the year of Jubilee, the Sabbath year, the Shitma. Every 49 years, you could sell something, whatever. On the 50th year, all debts canceled. Every slave freed. All land returned. And so Nabob could have sold the vineyard to King Ahab. And let's say that it was 10 years until the next year of Jubilee. And Ahab would have said, okay, I will give you the price equal to owning this for the next 10 years. And then in the year of Jubilee, the land returns to Nabob. And he could say, I'm going to take it back. I hope you've enjoyed it, but it's mine now. Or he could say, hey, I'll sell it to you for another 50 years, and then my children will take ownership again. That could happen. That, that was like within the system. Here's the thing. When the southern kingdom, Judah, was taken into captivity into Babylon, God told the people, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, one for each of the Sabbath years or the years of Jubilee that you did not observe. And the southern kingdom was the better of the two. The southern kingdom of Judah actually had some godly leaders and they had some you know, better things going on and they were generally speaking people that weren't as rebellious or as wicked as the people in the northern kingdom. And if they weren't observing things like the year of Jubilee, how much more so would the northern kingdom not? So here's Naboth who's saying, hey, I'm not getting this land back if I sell it. I mean, I could sell it right now, and in the year of Jubilee, we get it back, but they don't do that anymore. I'm old school. I just want to keep it. So then Jezebel comes up, and she says, what are you doing? Remember, Jezebel's not Jewish. Jezebel came from the north of Israel in the area of, of Sidon. Uh, Elijah actually stayed there for a little while, if you remember, when he was staying with that widow, but she was not Jewish. So Ahab is just operating in the new ways of his people. He wasn't out to get anybody that day. He was just trying to do a real estate deal. And he's just operating in the ways of his people. Naboth is operating in the old ways of his people. And there is a clash between the new ways and the old ways. Jezebel, on the other hand, is operating in the ways of everyone else. Jezebel is operating in the ways of everyone else. You see, in Israel, the king couldn't just go and take land. That was wrong. There were things that the king could not do. But where she was from, the king wanted something, the king took it. And what are you doing not taking that land, Ahab? And so she went and operated in the ways of the world. I, I have friends who will post things or talk about like what they think the church should do, how they think the church should operate. 
they themselves are not church people, not Christians, and, and they go, but this is how the church should operate. Because they're thinking in the ways of the world around, not in the ways that God has called us to live and act and move. And Jezebel's just thinking in the ways of the, how she grew up. If you're the king, take it. Do what you have to do. And if you're too weak to do it, then I'll take care of it for you because I'm embarrassed of you. And there are people who are embarrassed of Christians, not because Christians are doing anything wrong or doing things that are any different from how God has called Christians to live, but they're looking at it from a worldly perspective and saying, what are you doing? And, and you might think, oh, it's, you mean that person. I probably mean that person, but I also probably mean this other person that you're less comfortable with me meaning. People who want the church to act a certain way. Secular people. Religious people. All have these ideas of how the church and Christians should act. But what does God say? So she arranges to have Naboth killed. Now it's interesting to me what she does to have Naboth killed. She says, hey, you need to go and tell them that Naboth cursed the God and the king. And when, why would that matter? That he cursed both God and the king. Jezebel doesn't serve any of the God. She doesn't serve the God of Israel. She serves the foreign God. She doesn't say that he cursed Baal or Asherah. She says God, singular. Well, the people have started to turn back a little bit. Remember a couple weeks ago, they, they rejected the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and there's kind of been a move back towards the true God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, okay, she's political. She says, all right, fine. You guys want to go back to that? Well, I'll use that against him and say that he cursed God and the king, and then they took him out and they kill him. And she arranges this whole thing. So then, Yahweh, the Lord, came and spoke to Elijah, go down and talk to the king and call him out on this. All Elijah is doing is speaking the word of God. He can't make Ahab repent. He can't do anything to change Jezebel's heart. He is just telling the truth. Elijah speaking truth to the world. If you're a believer, we are not called to make anybody act different. We are not supposed to twist anybody's arm and say, you better act right. Our job is to simply share what God has given us. What has God given us? Jesus. He's, God has given us the truth, the freedom of knowing that our sins are forgiven, that our lives are set free. And we share that with anyone and everyone that we can. And Elijah goes and he says, hey, you, you've done this thing. You, you've killed an innocent man. And now you're taking his land. Because Naboth's family, it should have passed by the laws of Israel. It should have passed to the next nearest family member. The king shouldn't have been able to go down and just take it. And it's funny how Naboth's like, oh, he won't sell it to me. But now he'll break this other law to do, you know, get what he wants. There's this land grab going on. And you say, oh, man, crazy times, right? But that's what's happening in Maui right now. That there are people trying to take land from, from people who had their houses burned out in that fire. Whenever there's a natural disaster, whenever there is a natural disaster... The vultures swoop in, whether it's Maui or New Orleans after Katrina or wherever. There is a natural disaster, and the vultures try to swoop in and grab land from people, from families, from whoever, at a, you know pennies on the dollar. And that's what he's doing. He's coming in, and he's 
taking what's not his. And Elijah just comes and says, look, this is what God says to you. He can't control anything. Ahab's response, Ahab's repentance was something from Ahab. It was not from Elijah. So you have Ahab who's just walking in his own ways, just living for himself, doing what he thinks makes sense, not realizing that what he thinks makes sense is starting from the brokenness of this world. And then there's Naboth who's trying to walk in God's ways. Now, I don't know, like I said, I do not know. I wrestled with this over and over again. Was he trying to walk in God's ways because he was truly a faithful person? Or was he trying to walk in God's ways just because he was an old soul or a traditionalist or whatever? I don't know. The story doesn't tell us. But I know this, that there is a cost to walking in the ways of God. There is a cost to living differently than the world around us. And it's a price that is worth it. There's a price that's worth it. My generation, when I was in my, like my 20s especially, there was this really big sense of we're not different, we're just Christians. We, we have fun, we like cold play, we, we'll have a beer with you, we, we love sports, we'll, we'll go out hiking, we'll do stuff. We just also go to church on Sunday morning sometimes. And that was this feeling that I had from so many in my generation that it was like, hey, we're not any different than the rest of the people around us. We're just Christians. We're not like those weirdos over there. We're, we're just normal people who love Jesus. And in one sense, that's true. I, I like to think so. But in another sense, it's like, no, we are totally different. We believe things that are radically different from the world around us, from the secular world and from the false religious world. We believe things that are different from the liberal world as from the conservative world, from the traditional world as from the modern world. The kingdom of heaven is not of this earth. We believe something different. And because of Jesus and the work of God, the Holy Spirit, we are being made different. Now, where's God in all of this? He is interested in justice. Naboth's death mattered to God. Naboth's death got God to send Elijah to go speak to the king. Naboth's death was the final straw. And God said, hey, no more. You've sold yourself into sin and idolatry, Ahab. You've murdered the prophets. You've led the people astray. Now you've murdered an innocent man and you're taking his vineyard from his descendants. There's consequences. He says, dogs will devour you, lick your blood right where Naboth had his blood licked up off the ground. Jezebel will be devoured. What happened? Well, at the end of chapter 22, several, several years later, but at the end of chapter 22, it happened that way. Ahab was going and went out to battle. And he was shot with an arrow. In fact, they were trying to get him. They were trying to get the king of Israel, but he had, he had disguised himself to look like an average soldier so they wouldn't be targeting him. And he still was struck with an arrow. And he bled out in this chariot. And they, they got his body in the chariot back to Jezreel, to his palace. And they buried him there. And as they washed the blood away, from the chariot, it says the dogs came and licked in the same spot where Naboth had his blood shed by murderous people. And then many years later, about 20 some years later, Jezebel 
the, this King Jehu was coming and taking over the kingdom. And Jezebel was killed, betrayed by her own servants. And as she lay there, they left her body and they went in and they took a look around the palace. And then somebody said, hey, we better bury her. You know what? We should show some respect, you know, to the dead. And so they go out to find, and they find only bits of her body left because the dogs had came and devoured her. And, and Jehu, the new king, said, you know what? This is just what the prophet Elijah said. God's interested in justice. God will do things in his own timing because Jezebel was 20 years later. And why was it that this with Naboth is what triggered things and, and not all the atrocities and, and horrors and sins before? I don't know, but I know this. God is interested in justice, but he's also showing mercy. Ahab repented in part, and God showed mercy where he was able. Ahab didn't live to see the destruction of his family. That tragedy didn't happen before his eyes. God's looking for justice, but he's also wanting to show mercy. So when we look at the world around us and there's this whole thing going on, hey, there's people that are just living after their own ways and it's causing all kinds of pain and suffering. And there's people who are trying to live in God's ways and it feels like there is a cost to be paid for doing so. And, and you go, what is happening? Understand this. The injustice, the corruption, the violence, the misery that we see in our world, it will not go unpunished. This last week, I was up in Seattle, had to go up for a wedding, and I drove kind of through like what for me was old stomping grounds from high school in my 20s, but I had to drive through what's one of the worst parts of North Seattle to get to where I was going. And you know, most of this is going over my kid's head, right? But Angie and I see this as we drive through and we see the drug, drug deals. I saw a drug deal happening on the side of one of the busiest streets in Seattle, right in broad daylight. There's some drug deal happening. Over there, I can see the prostitutes walking the street. Over there, I can see the brokenness. And, and over there, I can see this, and I, I could just go on and go on and go on. And we see that here. I drive down McLaughlin. You go over 82nd. You drive by, you know, you see a, a, what's obviously become a, a, a flop house, or you see the brokenness of our world. You know, so many of our people in our church are educators, and we see the brokenness in our schools. Others in our church are like first responders and frontline workers, and they see the brokenness there. Understand that God cares and he sees and he is seeking justice. And at the same time, God wants to show mercy so that the people doing that drug deal don't, aren't without hope. The people living in brokenness aren't without hope. The people with broken families and broken relationships and, and destroyed uh, health and all of these things aren't without hope because Jesus has made the way of salvation and deliverance. That's the good news that we proclaim, that Jesus brings hope that the justice of God was placed on him when he died on the cross and so that we could have faith and trust in the grace and the mercy of God because you know what? All of us have been Ahab or Jezebel at one point in our lives or another. All of us have sinned. All of us have rebelled. All of us have done what was right for ourselves to the detriment of everyone around us. All of us have heard what God wants and rebelled and done the opposite and yet God forgives and has grace, and he has mercy. And that hope is there for you, just as it was there for me, and it has been there for us. And in the name of Jesus, I tell you this, there is no sin that will not be forgiven, and there is no hole or pit that you can dig yourself into that God cannot reach in and grab you out of. We live in a world that's broken. We started that way. We're, we've been making it more broken, 
but Jesus comes in and begins the healing and the renewal, and he is going to bring us to a place the Bible describes as the renewal of all things, the healing of the nations. And it's that great hope that all Christians have. And we believe this, and we trust in this, and we stand in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for salvation and for victory. God bless you. Can we pray for you? Can we connect with you? Can we help you? Email us, office at faithonhill.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'll see you next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and online in the podcasts this week. I was brought